0: What does motion sound like? With Kizikans Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks.
1: The only daily Premier League podcast. This
2: is Football Social Daily. Hello, I'm Niall, and welcome to Football Social Daily, your Premier League podcast from Sports Social with new episodes every day. And it's a day where we're expecting more ins and outs than a baseball game. Just over 24 hours to go until the summer transfer window closes for another Premier League season. Will last night's matches influence the top brass at any of our 20 top flight teams to start with some last minute shopping? Four Premier League games yesterday with Chelsea suffering back-to-back losses for the first time since Frank Lampard was manager, Anthony Gordon, a Chelsea target, on the score sheet for Everton rather than in the broadsheets, and Fulham flying as they continue their hot start to the season. And we do it all again tonight with five more matches. Arsenal looking to keep up their 100% start to the Premier League season. A tasty London derby in the offing as West Ham face Spurs and managerless Bournemouth take on Wolves in their first game post-Scott Parker. Absolutely stacks to go out on today's Football Social Daily. So what we've done is drafted in the big guns. Joel Tudor and back from his Portuguese getaway, Marley Anderson here. Obrigado, gents. Obrigado, like Ramioli and <laughs> yeah, I love how Lincoln you didn't want to play. call yourself Shearer. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's Amy and <Amiobian>, someone. <laughs> who's, got
0: the, who's got the cultured left foot? I up. need to put them onto. Marley needs the setup for the crosses. I think I've got him. He's got their nod on, the little header in the box. I mean, what we need to do at Football Social Daily is often think of players that
2: have played for all of our teams. And I think Laurent Robert played for Portsmouth and Newcastle. There's not many that play for Portsmouth, Newcastle and Manchester United. In fact, I don't
0: think there's any. I've oh, you got uh, Obertan, who's played for Newcastle and United. Yeah,
1: but
2: what about Pompey?
0: I don't think there's one that's played uh, for all three. Pompey's
1: always it? the problem. There's plenty of players that play for Newcastle, but they didn't fall as low as Portsmouth <laughs> and, unless they were in that golden couple of years of 2008
2: or whatever it was. You know what I mean? <laughs> just needed Andy Griffin to go to Manchester United and it would have been been sorted (laughs) we would have had one easily Um, right loads to go at today Premier League matches last night there were four of them there's another five tonight and there's one on Thursday which is Manchester United versus Leicester but let's first look back at yesterday's fixtures in the top flight starting at St Mary's where Southampton put right their 1-0 loss to Manchester United on Saturday with a 2-1 win over Chelsea and that means that Chelsea have now lost two in a row for the first time since Frank Lampard was the manager a good win for Southampton uh, a good time to strike as well Adam Armstrong just before half time and a good finish from Lavia to equalise after Chelsea took the lead but Chelsea losing two in a row is that going to cause concern amongst the supporters after what's been a pretty sluggish start to the season for them Joe? Yeah it
0: was surprising actually because when you, well, you actually judging from what we were saying yesterday on the podcast I thought that Southampton played really well against United last weekend so it wasn't Too surprised at their performance, but in terms of Chelsea, we mentioned how they were really bottom heavy. Now they just look heavy. Like there's no there's no lightness anywhere in the pitch at the moment. It just looked like. You know that Galactico style approach? Everyone reveres the Galactico style approach, but everyone forgets that the Galacticos barely won anything. And it was Barcelona and Valencia who were still dominating Spain at the time. It just never worked. <laughs> I remember on FIFA, Joel, they had like a team
2: chemistry statistic. And most of the teams had sort of seventy, eighty percent team chemistry. You go on to Real Madrid, the Galacticos team, this is back in the day. Their team chemistry was like twenty-five out of a hundred. <laughs> just unbelievable. And that's players. accurate. But that's
0: actually accurate, honestly. Everyone just looks at Zidane, Figo, Ronaldo and thinks, oh, they must have dominated. They actually didn't, you know, in all reality. And I think with Chelsea, it kind of reflects on what's going off going off on off the pitch, which is basically just a very Very strange approach to how they're trying to piece together this really strange jigsaw they've got going on. I mean, if anyone watched the game yesterday, and I've said it yesterday as well, Kai Havertz is not a number nine. I don't think he's good enough for Chelsea at all. And he came off for Amanda Broha, probably putting more of a performance in the 20-minute, 30-minute cameo that he got than Havertz has in the first four games. And I think that's where Chelsea are having their issues at the moment, but also midfield too. I think that Jorginho um, protecting that back four was just a disaster on a plate. And I think Southampton just showed a little bit more desire. And even Thomas Tuchel said after the game that they're easy to play against, they're easy to get a win against. And that's pretty harsh words for a team that's basically uh, going to be the team who spent the most in Europe once this Fafana deal goes through. It was somewhere around 270 million and they still look really disjointed. And that's, like I say, when you put in so many different jigsaw pieces, and I, I feel like a lot of them are not really necessary. I think, For for me, I don't even think Kukure was necessary. I feel like they should have put half of the money they put on the defence on the attack. And it just showed yesterday, and it's, it's quite worrying for Chelsea because, as we keep mentioning, I don't know where the goals are going to come from. But now that they're leaking at the back as well, I don't know who's going to save them and put the plug in the back. So it's, it's a strange situation for Thomas Tuchel. Well, we knew that things were going to be
2: different at Chelsea post-Roman Abramovich, and it's probably the right decision. Well, I don't think there's any probably about it. For me, it was the right decision that Roman Abramovich had to sell up and someone else came in to take over Chelsea. But just the way things were run at Chelsea for that 20-year period, naturally there's going to be difficulties and differences when someone new takes in. It's not going to be seamless. It's not going to be smooth. And Chelsea are probably ironing out those bumps now. As we speak, so they lost 2-1 to Southampton last night. Let's zoom up to Ellen Road now, though, where Leeds United were held 1-1 by Everton. And I say held, I wouldn't normally use that descriptor particularly last season, but Leeds have started so well and Everton have kind of picked up from where they left off, unfortunately for Frank Lampard, who is the Everton manager now, of course. Um, But Anthony Gordon scored the Everton goal, and I think that's the most interesting factor from this game, Marley, particularly his celebration. It was a good run from Gordon. He took it nicely in his stride, finished low under the keeper between his legs to to find the back of the net for the Toffees. But the the fingers-in-the-ears celebration. There's been a lot of talk about Anthony Gordon in the papers, on social media, on football social daily that was interesting to see the way he reacted to scoring it was we think that's another 10 15 million on me on me transfer
1: transfer fee uh another 20 30 grand in the in the bank <laughs> um yeah it was like it it was shocking defending to let him in let's be honest i think lorente it i don't know whether he had two left feet or two right feet or whatever foot it is but it, he somehow didn't clear the ball and you know, it, it falls to go and he finishes it under the keeper's legs. I think it's his first, pretty much his first non deflected goal he's ever scored in his career. Um which is you know you know, I, I don't want, don't want to be too harsh on him, but it's it's not his fault that he's being linked with these stupid fees, but it is his fault that he's making noise about wanting to leave and stuff. That that does great on me. But you know, he took his goal well. Um it, you know, could I blame him leap for leaving Everton? Probably not there. I think they've got some dark days ahead of them, if I'm totally honest, Everton, with the... I was looking at a, a list yesterday of teams that have spent the most money in the last 10 years and they were in the in the world, and they were seventh on it. And it was like, all the other teams were like, AC Milan won the league last year. Um, I think Arsenal and, you know, uh, Man City and Man United were at the top of it. Obviously, they've had success, at, at least, not, you know, not the level of success they wanted, but still success in terms of getting into Europe and... and Pumping money through the club, and I'm struggling to see what Everton have had except, you know, four or five managers in that ten-year period, um, a, a load of failed transfers, a load of huge fees, and you know you've got to balance the books with the new stadium coming as well. But you know, as as for last night, they they did all right. There was a bit of bit of hope there, um, but I, I don't think anybody really. Um, expected them to hold on to that lead when they went one nil up. You're thinking Leeds are playing well. That it's at uh, it's at Elland Road. It's uh, it's a really like buzzing atmosphere and stuff. So everyone's you know like flying in the in the early part of the season and they've signed some good players. So I wasn't really surprised
2: to see uh, Everton get the the equaliser in the end. Leeds 1, Everton 1, final scorer Ellen Road. Moving on to Fulham 2, Brighton 1 now. Brighton had started the season well. They were fourth in the table. We spoke about it on yesterday's episode of the podcast, saying that they started similarly last season. They were in the top four for a short period at the beginning of the campaign and everyone said that Brighton would fade away. They obviously did. They still finish in the top 10, which is a great achievement, but that fading away you might have already started at the hands of a Fulham side who are absolutely flying Joel I put them in my bottom three in my pre-season predictions I thought we would see the three promoted teams from the championship finish in the bottom three come the end of the season I know it's only four or five games into the Premier League campaign but I'm being proved wrong already what a start that Fulham have had
0: Yeah and first and foremost I think we've actually just jinxed Brighton's run now because we were literally saying just yesterday how they always find themselves in the top four and now they're probably going to start going on a bit of a catapult downwards but um in terms of Fulham I'm exactly in the same boat I think most people had Fulham there or thereabouts in the bottom 3 just because it seemed as though it would be the similar type of approach that they usually have where you know Mitrovic scores a stupid amount of goals in the championship and then just fails to convert that into Premier League goals but now he's one of the top scorers in the league he's become an absolutely massive player for them he's, he seems to be scoring in every single game every time I see who scored for Fulham, and it's just a massive turnaround. I think you have to give so much credit to Silver, the manager, uh, for how he has them set up and how different they look compared to the season when they were in the Premier League, where they just look like very timid little deers in the headlights, but now they're really going for games, and especially against Brighton as well. I mean, going going into this game, Brighton were absolutely flying. Obviously, they beat United on the opening day of the season. They've got some really impressive wins. and been playing really impressive football, but it seems as though Fulham might be the kind of bogey team this season that teams don't really want to play because they know that they could be undone, especially at Craven Cottage as well. So it's going to be a... It's a, it's, it's, it's a massive turnaround, to be honest. And I think that when you look at how... Little of the transfer market they've actually dived into, and they've made quite shrewd ones. Obviously, like Andres Pereira's come in. I think it's just when well, you have to just give credit to the manager. I think, and it's going to be a really interesting time to see in the next two months if they can actually keep up this form. Because as we as we've seen in so many different Premier League campaigns, sometimes you do get the smaller teams or the teams that have just come up, going a really good win, and then suddenly when all the fixtures really start rolling in, they just seem to slump. And go gradually down the table but I mean for a team that's just going to be gunning for staying up in the Premier League getting to eight points already I think it is is already a really good achievement in itself they're already three quarters of the way there to uh, to 40 points so it's I think it's a massive achievement so far.
2: Yeah it doesn't matter when you get the points or who against because they don't count for any more regardless of the opposition you know three points is three points doesn't matter who you beat and beating Fulham is is a good sign of where Um, beating Brighton sorry is a good sign of where Fulham are and we will be talking about Fulham and the transfer window a little bit later on in our transfer roundup because it looks like they're linked with four maybe even five players that could come through the doors of Craven Cottage between now and the deadline on Thursday final game from last night finished Palace 1 Brentford 1 at Selhurst Park Brentford have started the season well, a bit like Brighton, really. They've started well. Big win against Manchester United, of course, the highlight of their season so far. Um, And they were in business last night late on in the game. They ended up getting the equaliser in the 88th minute. So, Crystal Palace, Marley, that unwanted trait from last season of conceding late goals and costing them wins, that seems to have crept back in.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think... uh... I think it was fairly early on, wasn't it? About ten, eleven games in when they, they went three or four games and, and just kept conceding late goals and late equalisers and, and blowing points away and it uh, happened too often. Um and yeah, I think it's just I don't know, well we didn't. I think the most interesting thing for the game was, was Zahar's um interview afterwards, you know, he's moaning on about uh about um how the, the Crystal Palace players made a a change and, and went shy and went into the shells a little bit um, and tried to try to see it out basically and went uh, went a bit more defensive when obviously he felt that they had Brentford on the ropes and um, you know it's 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 one of those where it does happen like it, you know it's natural to to go backwards into your shell when you when you're protecting a lead like um, like Crystal Palace were so you know, it's um, it's just one of those. It's it's, it happens. But Palace have got to stop doing this um, because it's just like, constant. I don't know. Whether it's concentration levels or it's fitness or, or what. But it, it can derail them because you know every time you you draw a game, it's two points lost. And you know if you do that three or four times in a season, you, that there's there's six to eight points there. And if you stick six to eight points on a team that finished, you know, twelfth, thirteenth ish in the league last season, it, it's it's almost enough to get you to that last European Conference League spot. It's it's definitely going to get you in that race, you know what I mean? So, even though it sounds like daft to say Crystal Palace could target Europe, like, it's not a million miles away. And this, I think they drew, like, 15 games last season or something like that. I think them and Brighton drew the most games of anyone. And, you know, if, if, those, if those stats just, you know, three or four turn into not-late equalisers you know you're talking 10 minutes of football 10 15 20 minutes of football maybe in the whole season and it can put like four five finishing places in the premier league on your on your records so it Zaha will have had a point and I, I know he loves a moan Christ almighty he loves he loves a little whinge Wilfred Zaha but he's probably got a point there because you know for the first period in the game you know it's all palace they had chances everywhere his finish was superb um, and he's probably thinking, you know, he's he scored an absolute worldie and that is proof that you know Crystal Palace were on top in the game. But it, you know, they, they went from sort of fourth gear to second, and you know Brentford went from second to third and ended up getting the equalizer right at the end. So yeah, I can understand his frustration
2: though. Palace won, Brentford won, final score last night. The two teams, incidentally, that finished 12th and 13th in the Premier League last season. And I agree with you, Marley. Crystal Palace on 48 points. They're only 10 points off of Manchester United in sixth and only eight points off of West Ham in seventh. So presuming that they did, you know, let go of eight points from winning positions or whatever it was that they let slip from conceding late goals, they could easily have been up and amongst it um, around in the top 10. So who knows what, uh, the future holds this season for Crystal Palace, but they were held one-one last night by Brentford. More games tonight, though, in the Premier League: Arsenal, Villa, Bournemouth, Wolves, Newcastle, Liverpool, West Ham, Spurs, and Man City. Forest will preview them all next on Football Social.
1: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
2: Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily, your daily top flight fix from the Sports Social team. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode of the podcast again. And you also won't miss our short form show, Football Social Daily Shots. It's only seven or so minutes long, and it wraps up all of the news in an afternoon of Premier League action that you might have missed. For instance, yesterday we heard the thoughts of Bournemouth fan Sam on the sacking of Scott Parker. So if you want a little bit more on that, then just scroll up in the Football Social Daily timeline to find shots. We'll be back with another episode later on today. But for now, though, we're going to look ahead to this evening's top flight fixtures, of which there are five. And we'll start at the Emirates, where Arsenal welcome Aston Villa. And they welcome a Villa side who have got a few question marks over Steven Gerrard recently, Joel. But I want to focus on the Arsenal here because they are the only team in the top flight with a 100% record. They haven't lost yet. They've won all of their games. They're top of the Premier League. They've had a really good start to the season. Do you fancy them to keep it up tonight against A hundred
0: percent record. I've not heard it anywhere at all recently. I didn't know they'd uh I didn't know they were flying. <laughs> <laughs> not like Arsenal fans to say anything about it. Um yeah, it's it's you have to be honest, like with a non-biased hat on, you have to say they are looking really good at the moment. Obviously four wins from four, you can't really argue with that. The level of opposition though that they have played, not really any testing fixtures so far. You know Crystal Palace, Leicester, Bournemouth, and Fulham. You would say that they're pretty. Obviously, no game's an easy game, as we've seen. You know, Fulham is a great example of that. But I want to see how they fare when they come up against the real quality opposition, because as we've seen with Arsenal over the years, that's always been one chink in their armor, which always seems to get them down a level in terms of how far they can actually go as a team. They always seem to get built up so early in the winter, in the autumn and winter months. And then when it starts getting to the business end of the season, they seem to just collapse a little bit. As we saw last year, uh, last season, A perfect example of having Champions League football in their hands. And then they just seemingly let it go in the final five games of the season. So for me, it's way too soon to be, you know, waving the white flag to Arsenal just because they've won four games because they've got a big amount of tasks, uh, tests to go. But, I mean, looking at them, they look so much better than last season, look really cohesive, uh, especially the defensive pairing of Saliba and um, Saliba and Gabriel, Gabriel, who look really solid, Zinchenko and obviously Gabriel Jesus, which looks to be like a bit of a revelation for them, to be honest. He seems to be thriving, having been the focal point of the team and playing every week, week in, week out. And Martin Odegaard given captaincy, he looks like he's having a new leash of life, so It's a a young and exciting team, but as I say, it's a testing one, and obviously on Sunday that's going to be the real test for them when they come to Old Trafford, and we'll very much see how serious they are, I think, on Sunday, but... for for Villa it's not looking great and I think for Arsenal it's it's the perfect fixture to continue that momentum because Villa are really on the ropes at the moment and it could be a really testing September for Gerard because he's got some really tough fixtures coming up in the next six games but for Arsenal it's good for the fans good for them they're going to face a real team on Sunday.
2: <laughs> Not going to throw you under the bus here, Joel. But after that comment, I'm tempted to. You were calling in Pep Guardiola's cone man last season. He looks a little bit better than that this time around. Right. We'll, keep, well, we'll keep. I didn't it. know the no. season
0: finished after. I didn't know the season finished after four games. <laughs> we'll see what happens. If it did, you'd of finish uh, tenth or something, wouldn't you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll see what happens, of course. Villa versus Arsenal tonight at the Emirates. Moving on to Bournemouth against Wolves. Not the most attractive game on paper, but certainly more interest drawn to this one after the fact that Scott Parker was sacked by Bournemouth yesterday. And Gary O'Neill, uh, the former Portsmouth midfielder, will be taking temporary charge. Th- yeah, there's the Pompey wedge. Get it in there. Uh, I mean, we've already spoken about it. It is my birthday. <laughs> I'm allowed to talk about Pompey at least once, maybe. Um, but, you know, he is going to take temporary charge. He was uh, in the academy at least. Liverpool, actually, Gary O'Neill doing some coaching um, before taking the assistant manager job at Bournemouth under Scott Parker. But he's going to be in temporary charge tonight. We don't know who the new manager is going to be, Marley, uh, Bournemouth. Do you think a change of manager is going to make a difference to how things unfold for them this season? It's almost not about the football. Listening to the Bournemouth fans yesterday and from the kind of fallout of Scott Parker's sacking, it's more about... We keep hearing this term, the alignment between the club and the manager. Scott Parker to the media was almost sort of isolating himself from the issues that the club had in terms of he wanted better players, he wanted a stronger squad, the owner wasn't prepared to put any more money in effectively, and that's kind of how it, it, it unfolded and it cost him his job. It's almost not about the 9-0 defeat, but even if a new manager does come in, regardless of who it is, do you think it's going to make much of a difference on the pitch to what we've seen so
0: far? Uh,
1: I'm, I'm not massively sure, to be honest. Um I am I am quite happy that uh, my um my prediction at the start of the season when I said I'd put my life on Sean Dyche being a um a Premier League manager by the end of the season um or getting a job in the Premier League I can't remember how I worded it but that looks close to being uh being well coming true because I think I think Dyche is the um is the manager's uh, favorite for the manager's job so
2: that could uh Could happen. And if you think about Sean Dyche's characteristics and what he achieved at Burnley, you know, trying to work with a tight budget, making the best of what you got, that seems very much the Bournemouth mantra at the moment, which is exactly why Scott Parker got the elbow, because, you know, he wanted more than what he was being given. And although Sean Dyche has spoken to the press when he was the manager of Burnley, kind of hinting that he did want a stronger squad, he was quite happy to take what he had and work with it. Um, And maybe that's exactly what Bournemouth need here.
1: Yeah, maybe, yeah. Um, The only thing I would say is the style is very, very different. Um, I think Bournemouth generally play good football and and try and play good football. Um, And by that, I mean, you know, possession-based, short passing, you know, uh, plenty of sort of movement between the lines and things. And Sean Dyche plays a a very, as we all know, well, likes to play a very rigid. Uh, In the words of Mike Bassett, 4-4, effing two. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll, you know, we'll try and fight you. We'll try and, you know, we'll try and batter you into submission, sort of thing, and and get, you know, balls in the channels and, and get the ball up the pitch like that. Um, so the the style is very different. Um, I almost feel like they could they could take a, a chance um, on a, a a manager who plays slightly more positive football, let's say. But you know, I think. To be honest, they're thinking we just, we've just we lost 9-0, 4-0 and I think 5-0 this season. So let's get the defence sorted. Let's try and, you know, it's only going to strengthen Daichi's stock that they've got a minus 14 goal difference. And he's got, a, a, I think even when Burnley went down last season, I think they had a better goal difference than, you know, three, maybe three teams above them who, who didn't obviously go down. So I think it's um it makes sense on paper. Um, I don't think Bournemouth are, are going to get too many. Play- I mean, we're on deadline day tomorrow, aren't we? So it's hardly like they're going to get too many, uh, too many new faces through the door. So it's not as if he was coming in three weeks ago and he can go look. Oh, I want this guy, this guy, this guy, because he'd probably took Ben Me from uh, from um, Brentford um, before he went to Brentford. If he'd come in back then, but obviously you know Parker Parker put a lot on the line by you know is is comments after the uh, liverpool game were were very very bold for a manager who'd lost you know i know he'd lost to hard teams but you know to criticize the way the club is run is very very brave you know to an issue do you remember when you're playing like football manager or fifa or something when you're a kid and you, you, you issue the board an ultimatum because you get a bit bored of not winning like finishing 10th or whatever and you think oh well sorry i'll give him an ultimatum and you always end up sacked it never works <laughs> It never, ever works, and he's basically done that in real life. Um, So, yeah, you know, got to miss his uh, wacky cardigans, 1,400 quid (laughs) cardigans, but, you know, it, it is what it
2: is, you know. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. It's it's one of them. Okay, well, Bournemouth were beaten a 9-0 by Liverpool at the weekend. Some might have suggested that was part of the reason why Scott Parker lost his job. It sounds like that's not the case. But anyway, Liverpool's next opponents are your club, Marley, Newcastle United. Um, Obviously, a great recovery for Liverpool after they lost to Manchester United in the game before. My biggest wonder for this game is whether we're going to see Alexander Isaac get his debut for Newcastle. What do you reckon, mate? Uh, it depends
1: on the the red tape. Um, I know um, Frank Lampard was very annoyed at it last night that Neil Morphe had signed and registered on Friday and couldn't play on, on Tuesday night because the Premier League hadn't had time to do it because they all had <laughs> the bank holiday Monday off and weekend they don't work weekends. Um, so that was interesting. But I think Eddie Howe said yesterday that Isaac's signing can... Um, his registration can go down to seventy-five minutes before kickoff. Uh, that, that's as late as it can go. So I'm expecting it to go through. You know, today's a, a working day in the UK, so it's um, it should go through. And so was yesterday. yesterday. Was a working day in the UK as well, wasn't it? So um, it's it should go through. Whether he'll start or not, I'm not sure. Um, he's only played a, t- a tiny bit in in training, um, so we might see Chris Wood starting and and Isaac coming on and after. 60 minutes but I think at that point away at Liverpool and the way they played at the weekend the game might could potentially be gone by then so I'd be tempted to, to uh, stick him in from the start because wood was the only recognized striker against wolves at the weekend available in the in the, in the entire squad and Eddie Howe took him off after about 63 minutes I think it was so he chose to play with a um system without a recognized striker rather than keep faith with Chris Wood up front. I don't know if he's carrying a knock or whatever, because obviously I was uh, I was on holiday at the time, so I wasn't watching the game. But it's a bad sign, really, when you, when when your manager's choosing to take off your only available striker. You know, And, and it worked in the end, which is even worse for Chris Wood, because they actually equalised at the end when he wasn't on the pitch. So a bit of an awkward one, but hopefully Isaac can get straight involved and, and make a, an instant impact, because we need him with... Uh, with Wilson missing and Bruno potentially missing as well, thanks to playing uh, five needless minutes against Tranmere last week um, and picking up a, a bit of a hamstring injury. So hopefully we can uh, sort it out and and grind that result and keep that
2: unbeaten start going. West Ham versus Spurs is where we're going to look next. Lively derby this one. It always is between the Hammers and Tottenham. Um, but West Ham need to improve, don't they? Spurs have not looked fluid Um, throughout the whole season they've picked up results and Conte has been banging the drum in the last 24 hours saying he wants more signings through the door as for West Ham they've made a couple they've signed uh, Tilo Kera from PSG they've signed Lucas Piceta, a club record deal they're going to need to improve aren't they West Ham because they've been poor so far this season at least by the
0: standards they've set themselves Joel in the last couple of years yeah it's been a pretty poor start hasn't it obviously playing Manchester City which isn't the easiest game on the opening day of the season. Brighton, who were already in really good form, and then finally actually picking up the first win just last weekend against Aston Villa. I think this game against Tottenham's probably come at the perfect time, to be honest, especially at home, because after smashing their club record transfer, FIFA, Peketa, and then playing their rivals in London at home, I think it's just the perfect occasion to rise the club again, because I think those first... Three games where they didn't have a win. They found themselves rock bottom of the Premier League. I think they started to become a little bit of murmurs around the stadium. They were kind of wondering where the club's going this season after such massive heights last season of going on a massive European tour in the Europa League and there or thereabouts challenging for the Champions League at one point. So I think this game is just the perfect occasion where David Moyes can start getting some momentum into his side again because. Like you mentioned, it was such a poor start, and I was quite surprised at how poor it was. But then, when you looked at who they'd actually signed in the improvements, there weren't really signings that massively improved the starting eleven but now that they've got Piqueta, for example, he'd go straight into the first eleven um and alongside having you know Declan Rice protecting just behind it should be a way more fluid and a little bit more of a threatening attack to be honest. And I think going into it with a Spurs team who haven't really got kick-started yet, even though they find themselves on 10 points, which is still a, an amazing return after four games. I mean, Hung, uh, Son Yeom Min has not even scored a goal yet. He's not looked in form at all in the first four games. Um, and Harry Kane's just started to kick into form now. So I think they're still on a really slow burner. So it's like I say, it's the I think for West Ham... Is the perfect time to play Spurs just before they potentially peak in the next one or two months because some of their key players have still not really kicked into form yet. So it's going to be a really interesting tie, that one.
2: Manchester City against Forest rounds off tonight's fixtures, Joel. City, of course, the defending champions, and they look like they're up against it um, when they face Crystal Palace at the weekend. And then in steps Erling Haaland to score a hat-trick. The goal machine pumping out numbers again. Um, They've got an interesting fixture run coming up, Manchester City. They've got some tough matches. I would argue that this game against Nottingham Forest tonight is probably the easiest, for want of a better term, of the run that they've got in the next six or seven games. With that in mind, do you think Pep Guardiola might choose to rest Erling Haaland tonight?
0: Yeah, I think he did mention it in his pre-match press conference that Julian Alvarez might be the guy who comes straight in his place because as we've known with Haaland's injury record especially at Dortmund it isn't the best one and I'm sure Guardiola is massively aware of that he won't want to overuse him in the first month and then have him unavailable for the next two months which would be an absolute disaster for him Um, but I think that you know obviously Norway haven't even qualified for the World Cup so it's probably a really good time to be using Haaland because in about a month or two months time he's gonna have a really good one month's rest. Uh, And then as we come back into the January campaign again, it's going to be absolutely fresh. But as we know, City have got depth coming out of their ears. It's incredible, their squad, in terms of the quality. I mean, I feel like the second team could probably challenge for the Premier League. It's that good in terms of just how many first-team players they're able to just rotate consistently. It is is a pretty formidable squad. But coming up against Forest at home, you, you would expect City to... Completely whitewashed them. But as we've seen in the last few games, City defensively have been a little bit frail. And I think that's just shown by the fact that they've signed a Kanji from Dortmund or they're close to signing him for 17 million euros. I think that shows that Guardiola is a little bit concerned with how the defence compared to last season. I think they only conceded, what was it, like 20, between 20 and 25 goals. And now they're, they're starting to leak a little bit, which is pretty strange for a city side because they have so much of the ball you wouldn't expect that but I mean conceding two against Palace last week and then conceding three against Newcastle the week before it's not great for Guardiola so I don't think he'll want to have to keep coming back from behind constantly because it takes a lot of mental strain that and having to really persevere they really want to just tuck away a game quickly but I think this should be the game but I can see a lot of rotation coming into this.
2: Yeah conceded three against Barcelona in that midweek bizarre charity friendly they played as well um, but that centre-back addition I think he's going to come in and be fifth choice isn't he I don't think he's going to play many games kanji if he does come in but it's Forest tonight for Manchester City at Etihad Stadium after that their run is Villa away Sevilla away in the Champions League Uh, Tottenham at home and then Dortmund at home before a game against the Wolves and then into October it's a home match and the Manchester derby against Manchester United so yeah I think with the fixtures coming up Pep Guardiola's rotation is going to be significant by the sounds of it Okay, those are the five Premier League games tonight there is one tomorrow as well it's Leicester City versus Manchester United we'll preview that on tomorrow's episode of the podcast and we'll also look back at tonight's games then as well so hit subscribe and you won't miss it Also tomorrow, it's all going on transfer deadline day and we've got some transfer gossip coming up for you next here on Football Social Daily.
1: Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
2: Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Final part of today's show, we're going to be talking about transfers and transfer deadline day will have been and gone by the time you hear from our guests on this week's episode of The Dugout. Francis Bernali, former Southampton man and Sol Bamba, absolute legend of the Football League and of course a former Premier League player with Leicester City, also played for Leeds and Cardiff as well. He'll be uh, joining me on the show also, so make sure you hit subscribe and you won't miss it. Transfer deadline day though, fast approaching as I say, just over 24 hours until the window closed. And let's look at Manchester United for the time being. It looks like James Garner is on his way out to Everton. That one's close to being agreed. But in terms of incomings, it looks like United might well be landing Sergino Dest on loan or a permanent deal from Barcelona. It's 20 million euros if that's the option they take in terms of a permanent deal. It would mean Aaron Wan-Bissaka can leave Mali. Do you think that it would work bringing someone like Destin and Wembasaka leaving? Has he really had the desired impact? the The England defender. I say England. I don't think he's ever been capped, has he, Wembasaka? So, do you think that would be a a good decision to let him leave?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, he's he's counterproductive, isn't he, to the style of football that that um, Eric Ten Hag wants to play? If you if you think about, you know, his time at Ajax, there was the, the fullbacks were basically, you know midfielders they almost played two at the back at times with the the full backs were so so high up the pitch and you know the only guys at the back would be the two centre backs and the holding midfielder so um if you look at wan strengths and skill set it's it's not crossing it's not attacking it's not dribbling it's it's tackling it's one-on-one defending um I still think there could be a role in 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 the squad for him but it'd be like you know when you win in 2-1 and you know, you're right back on a, like Dallow's on a booking or whoever's playing on a, on a booking and you're, you're a bit worried about their left winger type of thing. It's not really a role for a 50 million pound centre back, uh, right back, sorry, but you know, they're going to take a a huge hit on him as well. 50 million quid they spent on him. Um, And he never really looked that sort of untouchable. I think he played well at first and everyone was, you know, buzzing over the fact that he did slide tackles and, Everyone was like, "Oh, look at look at this guy slide tackle. He's brilliant." It's like, "Yeah, but he's going to ground all the time. He's letting the guy pass and then sliding him. If he gets a few of them wrong, it's not, it's you know, it's not great. And then when he gets the ball, Man United are having sixty five percent possession of the ball, and it comes to him, then they lose it. It's like he's not good enough in the build up phase. So getting someone like Dest, I think it's just dipping into Ajax's absolutely gutted. Uh, Ajax it? must be fuming, <laughs> you know. with <laughs> Man United just come along every." They are they are the playground bully who comes for the dinner money every day. Every summer they turn up. Right, we'll have him now. We'll have we'll have Vanderbeek last year. Uh, you know we'll have. Uh, and we'll have your manager. You know we'll have Anthony. We'll have Martinez. Uh, who else have you got? Right, take a, Yeah, we'll have we'll take him. There's been loads over the years, and I think they, yeah, you know, they must be fuming, but also laughing at the same time because they keep up coming in and paying daft money. But if Des comes in for the right price, you know it's. Um, I think it's a forward move and you can always,
2: if you take him on loan,
1: was it a loan deal you said? was it? Yeah. Not?
2: Loan originally. Well, I mean, there's conflicting reports actually. They are interested by the sounds of it. United, some are saying loan, some are saying permanent and it would cost around 20 million. They've also decided that it's probably a little bit too late to try and sign Frankie de Jong as well. But I think we already <laughs> knew that, but yeah, loan or permanent it could be either. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's probably quicker to get a loan through with, you know, a day
1: left, you know, 24 hours left. It took it's taken f- four months to get rejected and frustrated in the bid for um for frankie Diong. so they probably just want something cut and dry and you know a little bit quicker so it's um it makes sense it's, and if you get him on loan and he's rubbish you don't you don't buy him <laughs> it's as simple as that to try before you buy buying it you know obligation to buy or option to buy whatever it turns out to be um and he's half as million ha- half as much money as the guy you've just uh you signed last time. I know you're not going to make fifty million back on Wembasark. So I think Palace might have him back for fifteen if you're lucky, but um, it's one of them where if he fits the style of play, it's a new style of play and it's a new start for a new player. So um, I think it strengthens Man United in in the
2: in the long run. Yeah, United are if not already one of Europe's biggest spenders this summer and it was probably required after the poor season they had last time around. Martin Dubravka could also be on his way in on loan. I think that I'm not sure if that's been announced, but it's pretty much 99% done that he's going to be joining on loan from Newcastle United. So there's another incoming there. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, it looks like James Garner could be leaving the club to join Everton. So Manchester United busy could well be more activity at Old Trafford between now and the deadline on Thursday let's look at Fulham though we discussed them earlier on in the podcast a good 2-1 win over Brighton for them yesterday in the Premier League four players at the very least that they're chasing to try and bring in to Craven Cottage before tomorrow's deadline Ann, who used to play for Chelsea and Arsenal someone who we've mentioned on Football Social Daily pretty early on in the window actually uh Laivan Kazava, who plays for PSG. Justin Kluivert, the Roma forward, son of Patrick. And Bamba Dieng from Marseille. So there are four names there, Joel. Um, it looks like it's not going to be one of the four. It looks like they're trying to get all of these players <laughs> through the door, which would be some serious business with two days to go if it comes off.
0: Well, one of them definitely won't be coming, which is uh Justin Kluivert. I think he's been refused a work permit yesterday, which means that the deal's completely fallen through, even though they just agreed um a twelve million pound deal with Roma for him. So it's that's just the effects of uh Brexit coming into play there. But I think in terms of William that looks like it's going to be quite likely. A bit of a strange one considering just how poor he was at Arsenal. Uh Kersua, he's been a I mean he's been around well not around Europe, but he's been in the, that PSG side for a number of years now. He's played in some big Champions League nights. He's a pretty solid left back, to be fair, and obviously Bamba Dieng is a pretty young talent of Marseille, a striker who probably they could do with some backup for Mitrovic for when he decides that his goals are going to dry up sometime in the season. But I think it's a. I just hope Fulham don't go down this pathway of signing all of these kind of not has-beens, but you know players who are pretty much looking for a payday. You see it quite a lot with the, the the teams that come up, where they're dying for a little bit of experience, so they sign these players like William, for example. He's so far past it that do you really want to be having him on your payroll on a two three year contract, and then you're trying to shift him on a year later because he just not cutting the the cloth at, like at the top level anymore. Same with Kerser where I mean, Kersaw was a little bit more younger than him, probably still could get a little bit of um, usage out of him. But you know what? With Fulham, I, th- I feel like they trust what they're doing at the moment, and you can't really say otherwise, can you? They've had such a strong start, and I think it's more a case of just filling out the squad for when this fixture congestion really starts to take place, because as we've seen with newly promoted sides, they don't—they're ha- not blessed with the most incredible squad depth. I mean, the quality drop is really harsh if you know you compare. For example, a Manchester City squad, which has just got quality in every area. Whereas, you know, Fulham, if Mitrovic was to get injured, then who do they fall on? Who's the fall on guy? And I'm sure they'd like to have some experience on the bench coming off for him. But yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. I think deadline day is going to be quite manic tomorrow. You're going to see a lot of incomings and outgoings. But Fulham look like they're going to be busy.
2: Alright, well that's it for another episode of Football Social Daily. We'll be back a little bit later with shots. We'll keep you up to date with all of the latest moving and shaking in the Premier League transfer window which closes tomorrow. We'll also be looking back at the games happening tonight as well as looking ahead to Leicester versus Manchester United which is the final uh, midweek fixture of this run of Premier League games. But for now, from myself, Joel and Marley, that is it for Football Social Daily and we'll speak to you again tomorrow.